Welcome back to The Talking Hedge. I'm Josh Kincaid, Capital Markets Analyst and host of your Cannabis Business Podcast. Today we've got Jason Lammers. He's the General Manager with 420 Wholesale Pack. Jason, thanks for being back on the podcast. Thanks for having me, Josh. So I wanted to chat a little bit about an article here from MJ Business Daily on cannabis-based packaging. That paper could reduce uh, some waste and promote sustainability, as well as some other uh, biodegradability things that I want to talk to you about, some things that you're doing. Uh, but first things first, uh, kind of give us a jumping off point. So article talks about how cannabis businesses have struggled for excessive packaging, for requirements, um, and so some people have reduced the layers of plastic and or paper. Um, the whole idea behind that was to try to keep it child resistant. Um, what are some of the things that, you know, you've done, I guess, to um, be more sustainable or more um, environmental? Yeah, so, uh, I mean, in the article, they, they're talking a lot about uh, hemp and, and bioplastic type solutions. And while I think that's a really exciting future for us uh, down the road, it's uh, not very uh, viable or largely scalable at this uh, moment in time. Mm -hmm. So uh, with the uh, with the hemp product, uh, most people are growing hemp for CBD flour. And uh, so that actually produces less hemp fiber than, than desirably needed if you were really gonna try to scale up for a whole bunch of hemp fiber for packaging purposes. Uh, so we really don't have the supply chain in place for the actual, actual hemp material to really do it on a large scale fa uh, fashion quite yet. Uh, and then we also run into issues with uh, bioplastics or hemp plastics if it's a real rigid thick wall container because those even if they're advertised as compostable truly need an industrial compost environment to, to properly degrade and for that to happen it's got to get into somebody like cedar grove here locally in seattle and unfortunately they're not able to accept cannabis packaging so um, so that really isn't a good solution for us here locally and then nationally there's just not a lot of good bioplastic uh, bio or uh, industrial composters available at scale as well and so we were looking at hemp plastics uh, and solutions like that in bioplastics a few years ago. We're very excited about it, but then ran into all these roadblocks. And so we started looking at uh, recycled plastics as an alternative because we know there's plenty of plastic out there, obviously. And uh, there's a lot of it needs to be used and recycled as opposed to landfill. And so we were able to secure a really high quality uh, recycled polypropylene product. And we're actually in the pro process of rolling out a uh, joint tube that's gonna be manufactured from 100% recycled plastic. Before you jump into that, Jason, because <clears throat> I, I want to tease some folks with that concept. Um, recently, you ended up uh, through the Cannabis Alliance, a nonprofit, maybe you can go into a little bit more about that being on the Committee for Sustainability and reducing the thickness of the bags. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that process. Yeah, so uh, at the Cannabis Alliance a few years ago, we formed a committee uh, that originally formed around uh, sustainable packaging solutions. Uh, we've since kind of expanded it now to address all kinds of sustainability uh, issues. Uh, but effective January of 2020, this year, we were uh, able to get the LCB to make some uh, rule changes in our regulations to, uh, with, the, with the specific intent of reducing our plastic use. And so we got the LCB to reduce our poly bag thickness from four to two. Um, by that, that, that simple measure uh, obviously reduces your plastic uh, mill thickness by half. And so you're therefore reducing your plastic uh, waste by half with your poly bags uh, when, when you're going from a four to two mil. You still have a nice barrier protection with a two mil bag. It still can be child certified. And you honestly don't even need to change, you know, your processes. If you're a grower and you've got a bag design, you just simply place your next bag order with half the thickness and you save a little bit of money and you help out with the environment. Uh, so that's a really cool solution. We also helped out with the beverage uh, infuse makers 
or the, the people doing infused beverages. And so they're typically putting those plastic NyQuil type caps on their packaging uh, due to regulations. And that was also very wasteful. And quite honestly, most people you talk to that used those beverages didn't even use them in the first place. So um, we pointed all those things out to the LCB and got that changed as well so that now they can do uh, sensible dosing marks and, and um, you know, common sense dosing rules, essentially, just like a lot of industries use on your packaging itself without re having a requirement that, that adds to additional plastic waste. Uh, so those are two big wins we got uh, for Washington State as far as reducing our plastic use just through regulation change, which uh, we're still working on, you know, some some other ideas in the future for that as well. So timing is, in, is interesting. This article kind of going back to that talks about, you know, the economic shock caused by the pandemic, revealing some weaknesses in the global supply chain. Uh, and a lot of companies want to go green at the same time. But regardless, it seemed like at the beginning of this whole thing back in March, a lot of the supply was unavailable. Uh, and then some people wanted to go only in the U.S. and not really get their packaging from, you know, Wuhan, for example, or, or whatever, because of the fears. Um, so tell me a little bit about um, the, the timing of it all. Uh, how did it work out for you or the industry specifically? And uh, how do you think it's going to evolve, maybe to push things forward or delay them? Yeah, sure. Uh, so supply chain's been a challenge uh, for all industries in 2020. Uh, COVID, the initial COVID lockdown was a big shock, of course, just from manufacturing. Uh, but then that didn't last this whole period of time, but then they obviously had a huge backlog. Uh, also, a lot of our manufacturing came out of China and COVID happened right during the Chinese New Year. And so that just kind of exacerbated the problem. And so you had Chinese New Year delays on top of COVID delays. And so it really took them a long time to kind of pull out of that mess. And, and some would argue maybe they're still kind of dealing with that. Um, but it wasn't unfortunately just China that had the supply chain issues. You know, America's had those challenges. Really, the whole globe has had supply chain, uh, supply chain challenges uh, in 2020. And so having a good uh, reliable uh, source for your packaging is really important. You know, in cannabis, we're seeing sales growth every, you know, month by month in the state. And so if you are on a path to see sales growth and you're in a very competitive marketplace and now you can't sell or fill an order because you can't get a child certified package that you need, uh, that's a real big problem for our customers. And so one thing we did to, to try to address that is uh, we had already pre-COVID been looking at solutions for sustainability on the joint tube. And so uh, we kind of just were fortunate in the sense that this all happened, it just made what we were already working on that much more important uh, because we we're intending to get out of China with that product entirely, but not just to get out of China with it, but also come up with a, a more sustainable solution. So that's where we looked at the recycled plastics. You know, we started out with the bioplastic options, uh, didn't see the supply chain or the, the end use product, uh, um, end use compostability in place for that. And so we, should, we pivoted to the recycled solution. Um, the nice thing about that is again, we will be able to manufacture those in-house here uh, locally in the state of Washington. Uh, so we'll have very good control of our supply chain. We'll be able, we'll be able to manufacture, I believe, about a million tubes every couple of weeks. So we should have uh, no problems uh, staying, top of, staying on top of orders. And we also have the recycled pellets uh, in place as well. So we really made sure we had the supply chain for the recycled plastics in place so that we could continue to manufacture uh, with, our, our, with our vendor partners on that. So, uh, so we've got all that stuff lined up. We just got our mold finished. And uh, hopefully here in the next month or so, we'll be uh, in active manufacturing and production here uh, locally and, and making joint tubes. Price competitive to the Chinese product uh, made with recycled plastics and uh, with a really reliable supply chain. So it's going to be really exciting opportunity for people. That's awesome. So it's going to be local, made in the U.S. and made from recycled what resin or, or, or product, whatever. <clears throat> so back to this article, it's going to reduce the waste and increase some use and profits, stop waste pollution. 
one topic I wanted to kind of highlight for some folks who think that things are biodegradable or biocircular requirements in the future. Um, there are products out there who claim to have biodegradable dube tubes, but what was your, you did a lot of research into this and can you kind of explain how difficult it is to have a biodegradable plastic dube tube? Yeah. Um, so yeah, like, yeah, that was our initial goal when we first started this process. Uh, you know, we did quite a bit of research both in uh, manufacturing viability for us as a business, but then also what the end use looked like and is it actually going to be recycled or composted effectively. And so through that process, we sat down with companies like Waste Management, Cedar Grove, uh, you know, different recycling and composting companies here locally, uh, as well as uh, other manufacturing partners that are in other green spaces and non-cannabis related sectors. Uh, really just doing the research to find out, you know, what possible solutions were out there. And I'd read a lot about these bioplastics, was really excited about it. Uh, when I started digging deeper, though, I started finding out that once you start to build a rigid wall container with this material, um, you know, molecularly or scientifically, it is going to break down in a thin film. But once you start building a real thick wall with that to create a packaging container like that, uh, it's not going to really biodegrade as advertised from what we saw. Uh, and ultimately, it also would have to get into the industrial compost facility for it to even biodegrade if it did work as advertised. Uh, and that's not available as well. So it's kind of a moot point to really prove whether they were 100% wrong, because at the end of the day, even if they were right, there wasn't a waste stream for that to be collected properly and composted. And so industrial compostable bioplastics aren't anything other than waste products if they don't get to that proper waste stream. And so we do not have those waste streams in place uh, really on a national scale at this point. And so there are very specialized solutions uh, like in our state, Cedar Grove has been really instrumental in working with food companies on bioplastics. And those are more thinner film type, you know, like trays and whatnot. Uh, and that's been a really effective solution for our state. And so some of those, you know, certainly have some application uh, today currently, uh, but for the cannabis space, it's just not a practical application right now. But it is a huge need for the industry. I mean, if you're making a million a month, that's probably maybe enough for Washington, but you're going to have to scale up to cover uh, the rest of the country and, and the world. Joints or pre-rolls are one of the top selling products out there. I don't have numbers uh, on me right now, but huge amount of product being sold, therefore a huge amount of waste, because like you said, they can't be recycled. Anything under three inches falls through the cracks, like you mentioned. Um, and so what's, what's the path to being able to scale up and cover all of the emerging markets? Is that something that you're going to franchise or just scale up and do? So are you seeking capital? How can people get involved? Uh, well, as far as the joint teams go, uh, we, we're going to be able to scale up uh, rapidly uh, on our own. So we're, we believe that our annual capacity, if we're running our mold around the clock, is you know, somewhere in the range of about 25 to 35 million tubes a year. So, um, um, you know, we've got a, a real large capacity uh, available to start with. And once we get closer to that capacity limit, we can certainly invest in, in more molds so that we can essentially one, an additional mold would double our capacity, essentially. So we have a plan in place to scale up uh, currently. And then if we need to, we've got basically a plan in place to, to easily double our capacity if necessary. So we did do a little bit of math, uh, both actually using some of the Talking Hedges uh, data that you did on pre-rolls in the past as well as some of headsets data. And we're actually able to kind of come up with at least a future projection potential number. And we think that there's, you know, easily, you know, 400 plus million uh, single pre-rolls that'll probably be sold in a national scale once we have, you know, all 50 states participating that are established. Uh, so there's definitely a large number there. Um, and so obviously if I can only do 30, you know, million roughly a year, 
that'd be a lot of, I'd have to have 10 plus moles to, to can't to handle that. So, uh, um, so yeah, there's a lot of opportunity. It's a, like you said, it's a very popular uh, sector. I don't think pre-rolls are going away any, anytime soon. And that's why we really wanted to address that particular item in the packaging space because it is so prevalent and it's sold in, in singles, you know, grams, you can buy a full, you know, concentrates, you can get a whole gram of, you can buy all the way up to an ounce of flour, but pre-rolls uh, by at least two thirds are packaged in singles. And so that's probably arguably one of the most wasteful uh, products from a packaging standpoint. So hopefully this will really uh, address that waste in a significant way. Absolutely. Speaking about uh, future opportunities, you ended up winning, and I don't know if we mentioned this, Jack Hera Cup down in Las Vegas, uh, an award that's held uh, concurrently with the MJ BizCon, the Marijuana Business Conference, world's largest cannabis conference. You've got a chalice behind you uh, for, what is that, first place for sustainability product? Is that right? It was actually best new cannabis packaging product, so... Uh, it was actually a broader category than that, but yeah, Jack Rare uh, does a great uh, event every year, uh, right at, right during MJ BizCon week. Um, MJ BizCon and Jack Rare Cup are technically scheduled right now for December. I don't know if that's going to happen. I probably wouldn't bet on that, but uh, there may be some virtual type events this year for that. But, that's what uh, yeah, I was going to ask. Okay, I, was, I was leading into that because you just, you're on the board of directors for the Cannabis Alliance and you helped to produce the Washington Cannabis Summit uh, virtual conference over two days. And so wanted to know kind of how are you going to incorporate the rest of the year um, if we're not able to attend in person? How do you get more of those trophies? How do you get more people to know about this dube tube? Uh, what's sort of your strategy for uh, the rest of the year? <clears throat> Yes, we definitely have had to mix it up a little bit. Obviously, COVID's made everybody adjust their marketing uh, plans a bit. And uh, for us, you know, one of, one of the benefits we do have is we have been in this space for five years now. So we built a lot of really good relationships over that time uh, selling cannabis packaging already. So we already have a pretty good established customer base and people that know us. And so, um, so we feel like we'll get a pretty good uh, push just off of word of mouth and our established customers. Uh, but we are obviously going to do some marketing as well. Um, we're going to, you'll be able to see uh, a nice half page ad in MJ Venture Magazine coming up. Uh, probably be like in the December issue and that'll be going out um, on a monthly basis going forward. Um, we'll certainly probably, we got a commercial that aired at the, at the Cannabis Alliance Summit that we did last week. Um, that'll be airing on some probably social media platforms as well. Uh, we've got some banner ads for websites. So we'll be doing, you know, some of the, the virtual and, uh, and web type advertising as well as some, some print ads. And then um, as far as trade shows goes, you know, we do a lot of those when, when that starts to happen again. So uh, we would anticipate probably a pretty busy travel season, hopefully uh, maybe the second half of next year. Offline, we were kind of talking about, you know, the uh, options for networking on virtual events. What's the effectiveness of virtual reality events, in your opinion, with either networking or direct sales? Uh, I'm going to be attending the Canacosmo event this year, trying to, uh, push this candid cannabis band-aid um i don't know if you've attended virtual events what's your take on them if we have to do this for the next year um either networking and or sales what's been your experience yeah so i've done a few virtual things this year like all of us i think um and there's been a variety of um I think ideas floated out there and, and, and things that have actually taken place. You know, I, I saw one uh, done that was kind of, you're like a little avatar. I've seen ones where you're just, you know, incorporating Zoom platforms on a lot of them. Uh, but now there's also some new platforms coming out. And that's the one that we use at the Cannabis Alliance. Cool thing about that is it actually allowed you to break down into smaller groups in between the panels and in between all the, the, the discussions. 
so that you could actually get that networking time. One thing that I've really missed a lot from the cannabis space since COVID is, is that networking opportunity from, from trade shows and events. You know, the cannabis industry does a lot of trade shows and events in normal times. And uh, you get a lot of business done there, in my opinion. You know, if you, uh, if you attend a lot of these things and show that you're committed to the, the industry, um, you know, you make a lot of solid relationships with those things. And so that's been lacking. Um, and that was one cool thing about what we had at the summit is we had these nice little tables. And so you, when you're looking at the, the, floor, the floor format, it really looked like you're at a, at a seminar with all these different tables and you could hop around and you could see where everybody was at. So if you saw somebody you wanted to talk to, you could jump over. You know, we had representatives from our uh, legislature there last week. And you know you could run over and talk to your representative there at a table, you know, just like you were there in person. Easier, really, because it'd be probably more intrusive, right? If you actually talk, tap on a person's you know shoulder when you're actually at an event when they're at a busy table. I was know. talking to Heather about the can or the um, yeah the marijuana lounge bill, and then um, Representative Kloba pops in as we're talking about the bill that she wants to support i was like whoa what is happening here that was great timing that was an awesome opportunity yeah yeah so yeah so the idea of being able to break down into smaller groups and have these you know really valuable conversations you would normally have you know at these trade shows uh was really cool so i like that format a lot um i don't know if anybody's mastered the format yet you know uh, i think we're uh, maybe still a few, uh, maybe even a decade away before we're all, you know, uh, computer avatars where you can recognize each other and we can have a virtual world and talk. But uh, uh, it's cool to see the, the, the attempts, right? You know, we're all forced into a tough position with all of this. And so uh, certainly respect the effort uh, that people are going to to try to put on a good event. And they've all had their challenges, you know, and they've all had some, some of their successes as well. So, um, you know, I think we just got to do what we can uh, with the time that we've got where we're in this semi-lockdown period. Yeah, making do with what we have. There's a lot of people who don't even have access to internet. So trying to get uh, work from home or, you know, school, whatever is not an option for a lot of people. Um, so to ask them to wear a VR headset or something like that uh, to have additional hardware requirements is not really an option right now. So trying to work with what we got. Um, before we wrap this up, anything that I miss, anything you want to talk about? Uh, no, yeah, I think that was great. We covered a lot of stuff. And uh, if anybody wants to find out any more information, they can check us out at 420wholesalepack.com or feel free to email me at jason at snowcopackaging.com. Perfect. All right, Jason, appreciate you being back on the podcast. All right. Thanks for having me, Josh. With that, we're going to roll this one up. I'm Josh Kincaid. This is The Talking Hedge. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Or don't. And I'm out. Don't forget to- Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hi, it's Justin Benton, host of the Miracle Plant Podcast, where we discuss this miracle plant that goes by so many names and how it's helping people in so many extraordinary ways. So if you love this plant and you want to hear a story that tugs on those heartstrings and learn more about this plant, then head on over to the Miracle Plant Podcast. You'll be glad you did. Smash that like.